Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? Welcome to River Glen. For those of you here in Waukesha, those of you at our Pewaukee campus or online, wherever you are today, I am so grateful that you're here. My name is Don. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I'm just happy to be here as well. Hey, before we get started, I thought we'd play a game. Let's call it a battle, because I think having a battle in church sounds a little uh, scary and a little bit more fun. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pit two things against each other, and then all you have to do is vote and tell me which team you're on. And if you're online and at home, all you need to do is put in your vote on the chat, or you can just raise your hand as well. So the first one is pretty easy. I think right away you're going to know where Pastor Ben sits on this. You guys ready? It's an age-old battle, cats versus dogs. So as like I said, you guys should know where Ben lies on this. We're going to go with dogs first. Ready? Hands, dog owners, dog lovers. Wow, look at that. Cat owners, raise your hands. You lose. You guys knew that, though, coming in. You have cats. Come on, you lose. Okay, next one. This one is a little bit difficult. I think people it might be a little bit more split. This is Star Wars versus Star Trek, okay? Now, I know you Star Wars fans are really rabid. You'll actually stand in line for days before a premiere. So raise your hand proud if you're a Star Wars fan. Okay, nice showing. Star Trek fans, this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hands like this. Keep them up high so everybody can see. How embarrassing, isn't that? I'm not on your team, by the way. I can do that. It's genetics. It doesn't mean that I'm on your team. I don't even know what that actually means. Anyways, next one. This one might be a little bit too early, but I want to see where you guys lay on this one. And Aaron Rodgers versus Jordan Love. People who still think Aaron Rodgers should be quarterback, raise your hand. Okay. We hit two hands. Uh, Jordan Love, raise your hands. Really? Wow, I'm surprised. You guys, are you guys Bear fans? No? Okay. Hey, you don't know what it's going to look like over the next couple of years. Okay, the last one is, I think it's the most important, and it's the most critical, and this is toilet paper. Over the roll or under the roll? And we're going to start off with under the roll first, raise your hands. Really? You're willing to raise your hand in public and say that you're under the roll? Unbelievable. Okay, over the roll, let's show you how you're raised correctly. That's a two-hander. I agree with that. Who, who leaves it like this? Bunch of monsters, if you do. As you can see, there are so many ways that we can kind of divide ourselves. And today I want to talk about how easy it is to create distinctions between me versus you, us versus them. Now, it's all fun and games when it's funny things like toilet paper or quarterback or, or your favorite pet, but it becomes less of a game and more of a battle when it becomes things that are important to us, things that we have really strong opinions on, things like Democrat versus Republican, vaccinate versus not vaccinate, liberal versus conservative, pro-life versus pro-choice, mask versus no mask. And that's not even acknowledging the differences in our beliefs and theology and our views on sexuality. You can probably even start to feel the tension in the room as that list starts to build. It's so easy for us to create these barriers, create these categories of us versus them, those people on the other side of the line. There's a whole lot more that we can divide ourselves on and talk about when it comes to us versus them. And when I really look closely, many times Jesus was on the other side of the line with those people hanging out with them. It's a crazy time right now in this world, isn't it? And all this stuff just gets us mad and and, and we just follow along with the rest of the world. And that's why we thought this series was so important. Back in week one, we talked about mad at me and how sometimes the person we're most mad at 
as ourselves as we struggle to embrace this idea of grace and this free gift of forgiveness that's given to us by Jesus. And last week we talked about mad at us and the way that we fight as a church and we divide ourselves over smaller issues and how we need to start extending grace to each other. And not that we all need to think the same way, but that we can have unity even in our differences. We're reminded that that was Jesus' last prayer on earth, that we would have unity so that the world would come to know us or know him. Well, this week the subject is mad at them. And I think we can all relate to this topic whether you're a follower of Christ or not. We've all had or still have maybe a them in our lives. So as we talk about this today, I want you to start thinking about who's the them? Who's the them for you? It can be a specific person. It could be a group. It could be a whole organization. But who is them for you? You know, when you turn on the news and then you turn it back off again because you're like those people, them are, are at it again. Or you jump on social media and your blood starts to boil because that person or that person's point of view is completely opposite of what yours is. They might be your them. And here's the reality, and we all know this, there's just stuff that makes us mad, right? Things we can't see and that we hear, and we just can't deal with it. And it causes us to create this line, this division that starts to separate us. And the truth is, sometimes as Christ followers, we're not any better at handling these situations, handling people on the other side of the line that, that we call them. We get caught in our biases, we surround ourselves with people who think and act and speak like us, only then confirming that we're on the right side of wherever that argument is. So how are Christ followers supposed to act in this age of outrage? What do we do when we're tempted to create this line and, and then push people to the other side of it? Build a wall between us so that we don't have to deal with them. Now, first of all, I need to tell you, I, I get it. The struggle is real. I'm not standing up here in front of you and saying that I've mastered this. Matter of fact, as I worked on this message, I believe that God showed me some blind spots in my own life where I struggle with this. And I pray today as, as I continue to give this message that, that God will start to speak in your hearts and tell you where you might have a blind spot in this as well. Andy Stanley, a well-known pastor, once said this, you should never make a point at the expense of making a difference. So often we're focused on making a, a point, letting everyone know where we stand, that we've lost our ability to make a real difference in this world. It's so much easier to focus on a point, the immediate, than try to make a difference in the long run. It's e so easy to jump to conclusions and really assume the worst of someone. Uh, a while back, I was driving on Sunset heading into church, and uh, there was somebody who was driving in front of me, and they slowed down to 25 miles an hour. And if you've driven on Sunset, that is not the speed limit. And uh, then they sped up as I came up on their tail. Don't judge. But I came up on their tail, and then they sped back up to 45. I thought they got the message, and then they slowed back down to 25, then back up to 45 and back down to 25. I knew at this point that they were messing with me, and I wondered how long it would go on. And I continued to follow them all the way up to the church, praying at some point they were going to turn right instead of left. But they didn't. They pulled into the parking lot. As I turned on my blinker, they turned on theirs. And I, I knew. I knew I was in trouble. They pulled up and turned around and did a U-turn and were starting to come back to me. But I was ready. One, ready to deny that I worked here. Two, <laughs> I was ready to defend myself. I, I mean, I was nervous about what this person was going to say. But this is what they said 
They just said, I am so sorry. I could not find the street I was looking for. I was lost. I apologize. Could you help me out? It was so easy to assume. Think about someone online you completely disagree with. It's so easy for us to make them the enemy and assume that that something is wrong with them and their opinion instead of maybe just somebody who's trying to work out their convictions very similar to the way that we were at some point. So easy to draw these lines and make those people them when in reality we probably have more in common than we actually realize. Last year a report came out called The Perception Gap that was uh, conducted by a nonpartisan group called More in Common. The report was about Americans on each side of the political landscape and the study showed that each side imagined that twice as many people on the other side held more extreme views than they actually did. So on both sides of that debate, people had the tendency to think the worst of the other group. And I'll tell you, sometimes as Christ followers, we have those same tendencies. I read a true story about a study with some high school students who happened to be studying the Salem witch trial. The, study go- the story goes like this. The teacher told them they were going to play a game. And he said, I'm going to come around, I'm going to whisper into each one, to one of you whether you're a witch or whether you're a regular person. The goal is to, to talk to each other, build the largest group possible that doesn't have a witch in it, and at the end, if any group has a witch in it, that group will get a failing grade. So the kids dove in, grilling each other, forming their groups. One large group did form, but the majority of them were small and exclusive groups turning away anyone who even gave a hint of guilt. Once completed, the teacher said it's time to find out which groups failed. All the witches, please raise your hands. You guessed it, no one raised their hands. The kids were confused and they told the teacher that he had messed up the game. Did I, he asked? Was anyone in Salem actually a witch or did everyone just believe what they'd been told? And that is how easy it is to teach kids how to divide a community. I read this story and I think about how easy it is for me to create those divisions with so little knowledge. Now, at this point in the message, maybe some of you are thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here. They, they, they're the kind of person that really needs to hear this message. If you're thinking that, then I need to tell you that there's a good indication that this message might be for you as well. So here's what we're going to do. Before I go any further, we're all going to say this together. Repeat after me. I recognize that this talk is for me, yes, me, not the person, I wish was here to hear it. Nice job, guys. Okay, let's jump into this. I think this is such an important topic, not only because of the world that we live in today, but because Jesus thought it was an important topic. God did not call us to a life of division. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and this is what he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to his ministry through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God." I looked up the word reconcile, and this is what it says, to make good again or to repair. Reconciliation is meant to repair relationships that are broken. I'd say we have a lot of broken relationships in this world, agree? 
Thank goodness we have a God, though, though, that is in the business of reconciliation. Later in this letter, Paul talks about tearing down these walls that separate us and that divide us. So often we create these categories, these lines that separate us, but Jesus says, no, that doesn't work for me. I live a different kind of life, and I call my people to live a different kind of life as well. It's not really us versus them, you see. It's us for them. You see, it's not enough that Jesus modeled a different way. He asked us to do the same. Our mission is clear, right? What did Christ give us? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not arguing people back to God. Not forcing our viewpoint through a social media post. Our mission is not to win arguments. It's to help people find their way back to God. It's to help people reconcile their relationship with God. And if anything we say or do might jeopardize that, shouldn't it at least just give us pause? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times to go head-to-head with someone to stand strong in your convictions, but how you do that should bring you pause. Is Facebook the best way to engage with this person? Is my tweet really going to draw this person closer to Jesus? Is my, is my focus on reconciliation or is it about letting them know where I stand and where they stand in comparison to me and that they're on the other side of the long? the line. So how do we follow Jesus in this age of outrage? I think Paul in Colossians says this really well. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul's giving great examples here. These are really just basic Christian principles on how to conduct our behavior. He says in verse 6, let your conversations always be full of grace. He doesn't say partially full of grace, only when it's convenient be full of grace, only when you need to, to make a point, let it be full of grace. He says, no, full, to the brim, in every situation, and every time that we interact with everybody. And that sounds tough, but here's the thing, when you've been transformed by God, it starts to change the way that you live and the way that you respond with people. Because as the message said last week, forgiven people are forgiving people. Don't ever forget that. Forgiven people are forgiving people. I truly believe that when you let the Holy Spirit transform you, it will change the way that you look at every single conversation. It will keep you from drawing lines and dividing yourself up from others. The early church was a model on how to live this out. They were firm in their convictions but they loved and they listened to and they served those people around them and people that didn't share the same convictions as them. Though they had completely different beliefs and ideology, that didn't stop them from loving and serving those in their society. Jesus did the same thing, folks. Who did he spend the most time with? He spent his time with the least desirable in society, the people that everyone despised. Even the religious elite hated him because of the company that he kept. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and lit into Jesus' followers. What kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? I love the NLT version. It says, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Jesus didn't just love from a a distance. He was intentional about the time he spent with them, with the meals that he had with them, all with those crooks and those riffraff and the scum. And I'm sure their viewpoints were a little bit different than probably Jesus's. 
See, tolerance isn't about having convictions. Jesus had convictions. It's about how my convictions lead me to treat people that I have a disagreement with, that, that I maybe think differently than people that I put on the other side of the line. I got to tell you, if your belief system is used to belittle or put people down, that is a horrible belief system. That is not grace. The ways of Jesus are far broader and more beautiful and loving. And now more than ever, the world needs to see more people act like Jesus. Not just on Sunday morning when we gather together with people who have the same thoughts and ideas that we do. And especially with those who believe and act and look differently than us. We should be showing grace to people, love and mercy, the same love and mercy that was given to us. Can you imagine what that would look like? I bet your face would be a lot quieter, wouldn't it? Let's go back to Colossians 4. As we continue in verse Uh, in the verse we see, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, make the most of every opportunity, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. When you first read that seasoned with salt, immediately it makes you think of something like a snarky conversation, something that's rude, but actually in biblical times it was completely different. It was used to describe wisdom, something that wasn't dull, something that wasn't lacking. If you think a lot about it today, it's a lot about food. You add salt to food, and what does it do? It adds flavor to it. I couldn't imagine food without salt. One time I went to McDonald's, and they served me fries, and there was no salt on it. Have you ever had a salt, no salt on McDonald's fries? It was horrible. It tasted like a mushy stick. I'm telling you, it was, it was, it was horrible. But you put salt on it? I don't know what kind of salt they used, but it was heavenly. It was unbelievable. You know, did you know that McDonald's fries are actually number one on their, their menu out of all the things that they carry? Man, now I'm hungry. Uh, anyways, the point is salt enhances flavor. It adds something, something desirable. So it begs the question, what kind of flavor is left behind after my conversations? Is it seasoned with salt? Is it left with someone wanting more from me? They say when you add salt to a grapefruit, it actually takes out the sourness. Isn't that a great metaphor? Maybe we need to spend more time thinking about the flavor that we're adding to our conversations and less about making a point. Maybe more on them and where they're at and less on us and and winning a battle. Maybe making a difference should be our, our higher priority. Here's the thing. If we're living like Jesus, we should have people asking questions about the way that we love on how we're using our time and how we use our talents and our resources differently than the rest of the world. We should be getting questions on the kind of lives that we're leading. But if our conversations aren't seasoned with salt and full of grace, you may be winning arguments, but I guarantee you, you are losing people. Matthew 5.13 reminds us, what does he say? You are the salt of the earth. This week, I I want you to ask yourself, what kind of flavor am I bringing to conversations? What kind of flavor am I bringing to the hot button topic of today? Could I, could I maybe be doing this in just a, a better way? There's a well-known writer named Ed Setzer, and I think he speaks to this issue perfectly. He says, I don't know that Christians can solve all the outrage issues. I think the culture has just turned up the volume to 11, and it's going all in on the outrage. Agree? So what I would say is we need to show a countercultural message. The gospel has always been kind of countercultural. It's always shown a different way. When the world is running this way, the scripture teaches us a different way. Jesus calls us to a better way. So I think the better way is to not join in and turn up the outrage volume, but instead to enter in on mission. Jesus has always shown us a better way than the rest of the world. In Matthew 5, it states, If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. 
What they're referring to is in the first century, the government of Rome enforced this unfair law. And if asked, any government official could come up to you, they could drop their sacks, which were very heavy, and they could demand you to carry it for a mile. And at that point, you could drop the sack, but then you had to walk a mile back. It was very unfair, and there was nothing you could do about it. You were forced to do what they said. But did Jesus say, fight back? No, he said, okay, not only walk that one mile, but I want you to go an extra mile. And so when the world says, hit them back harder, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, turn the other cheek. When the world says, do what makes you happy, do what makes you feel good, Jesus says, no, I want you to die to yourself, and I want you to put others before you. Because Jesus calls us to live differently than the rest of the world. He asks us not just to give grace, but to embody it, to be a visible form of grace to others. So when people say, I don't, I don't believe in your God because I can't see him, guess what? They see you. They see you embody grace. They see you embody grace in all of your actions. That's what it means to be the church in the world today, in your families, in your communities, in your work. That's what it looks like to be on mission together. It's no different than it was in the early church. The mission is the same. Give people an opportunity to see Jesus in you, and then you share the gospel with them. Don't live a life that's a distorted view of Jesus. Live a life that looks full and looks different than what the rest of the world is offering. Be like Jesus in a world that so desperately needs him, especially today. Maybe it's time we need to look deep and ask ourselves, what matters the most? that we successfully put people in, our, in their place or that we're known for our love, that we win cultural wars with all the data that we've gathered that backs up our position or that we help people find their way back to God with humility, trust, truth, and love. How do we get there, though? I think there's a lot of ways, but I think there are three ways that can really help us right now. The first one is remember your identity. This goes back to week one. Remember your identity, remember who you are in the grand scope of things. It's so easy to forget, but if we really remember not just up here, but we remember down in our hearts who we are, I think it would change everything in how we interact with other people. Because this is who God says that we are. He says you are chosen, you are his child, you are a new creation, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are accepted, you are his masterpiece. I love that. You are his masterpiece. The next time that you look at yourself and you think that you're not enough, that you're not happy with the way that God created you, remember that you are his masterpiece. You are created in the image of God. But here's the thing. If that's true, so is a person that you're arguing with. You're special and you are. But here's the thing. They are too. Every person was made in the image of God and they are loved and they are cherished. Sometimes I think we forget that when we're drawing these lines and we're, we're putting people on the other side from us. I want to make this clear, though. I'm not saying don't ever have an argument, don't ever stand for something, but remember, it's not about convictions. You can have convictions and be compassionate, but be compassionate. Let's just be full of grace in all of our convictions. Remember, that's what separated the early church from everybody else. That's why it exploded during that time. That's why so many people came to Christ. Okay, step two. Find an affirmation. Find ways to encourage everyone. 
You know, sometimes that can be hard with even people that we like and we get along with, but we start talking about people that we're at complete odds with, people that we don't get along with, that can be really difficult. It's not natural sometimes. It's definitely countercultural. But the writer of Proverbs in 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I'll tell you, a harsh word, even if you're right, can create such damage. I remember early in my marriage, there were times where I don't know if it was a fight, but it might have been a little bit of a heated argument, and I really wanted to win, and I threw something out, and before, as soon as it left my tongue, I wish that I could have pulled it back, and I might have won that argument, but I probably lost respect for my wife in that moment. I lost respect for my kids. To the young couples, a word of advice, if you're in an argument and you think you've won, you've lost a lot more, and you're going to find out about it at some point. We all need to remember to put down the desire to win and do what God has called us to do, and that's to find common ground. Now, sometimes you might not be able to find common ground in anything, and your best recourse then is just to affirm the person. Maybe that's all that you can do. When you just say, hey, I'm not sure I really agree with you, but I appreciate how much thought that you put into that. I'm not sure I agree with you, but listen, I care about you, and so I'm going to think about it a little bit more. I'm going to dig in a little more and, and try to see what you're trying to say. Listening and acknowledging will change a conversation. And that leads me to, to number three, ask good questions. Be a learner. It's so much easier said than done, though, isn't it? But asking good questions opens up dialogue. It creates a, a mutual respect and a willingness to really listen to somebody. When we show interest in other viewpoints and, and to others, it shows that we value them. Now, don't start asking questions and immediately start thinking how you're going to respond or defend. I know that's kind of a default that, that I have a tendency to fall into. Truly care about what they're saying, even if you disagree. Remember, they're made in the likeness of God, so asking good questions isn't a tactic. It reminds us that they're people and not just the position that they hold. Now, sometimes when you're on the polar opposite side of a discussion, it's hard to think about you know, what kind of questions to ask. So here's a few good questions that can open up a, a really honest dialogue. The first one is, what brought you to this conclusion? Most people just don't get there. there. There's a process that gets them to their conclusion. Find out what that is. What brings you the most joy because of this belief or stance? People generally find joy in the things that they believe in and that they feel strongly on. Find out what that is. How does this belief or stance help you? Generally, people's stances help them in their life in some way. So find out what that is. These kinds of questions show that you care about their story and how they got there. Now, in return, your questions may never get a response. And they may never ask you any questions about you or what you believe as well. And that's okay. It's not always about us. We can only worry about what, how God has called us to respond. But here's the thing. If they do ask you a question... The Apostle Paul, Peter, tells us to be prepared for an answer, and this is what he says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Remember what Andy Stanley said, don't make a point at the expense of making a difference. If gentleness and respect are not at the core, then we may lose a chance to make a difference, and it might be a difference in eternity. So here's my prayer for us, my prayer for me and my prayer for you. I would love for our opinion of others to pale in comparison to our love for others. Have opinions, 
have conviction, stand strong on what you believe in and what you live by. But I want our opinions of others to pale in comparison to our love for others. What a difference we can make if we started to live that way in every situation with every person, despite their political, their social, or their theological views. If we not only embraced grace, but we extended grace, we embodied grace, because Jesus calls us to a better way. The Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the world, word of life. We're told that the world is going to get dark sometimes. Some people would say it's pretty dark right now. But the gospel is good news, and Paul says, live it out, extend grace, embody grace, be a reconciler, and you will shine like the stars in the sky. We're called to be the light in this world. People will see the difference in you, and they will be pointed back to Jesus. Don't follow the way of the world. Shine. I don't know about you, but I think this world could use some more shining in the midst of this chaos. Amen? I think the world could lose a little bit more hope and we have an opportunity to shine. There's a song by the band called U2 and it's called One and there's a line in this song and it hurts me every time that I hear it. It says, love is a temple, love is a higher law. You ask me to enter but then you make me crawl and I can't keep holding on to what you got because all you got is hurt. As Christ followers, as a church, we keep telling everyone that God is love. Jesus is love. The church, it's all about love. This is our standard. This is a torch that we carry. It's all about love. But sometimes we forget to extend that same grace that God has shown us, and all we offer is hurt and condemnation and judgment. Maybe it's time that the church's bride starts to lead in this area, and instead of trying to make a point at the expense of making a difference, maybe we need to start pointing people back to God a God who loves them, who cares so deeply for them, and who knows them by name. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for this undeserving grace that you've given us. We know that we've done nothing to earn it, but it was given to us because of the love that you have for us. I pray that if someone has never experienced a personal relationship with you, that you open their eyes to the love that you have for them, and they accept your free offer of grace today. And for all of us, will you help, help us to start seeing everyone as a masterpiece created in the image of you, to let go of the thems in our lives and start to see people with the same heart as Jesus had for us. Father, we all know that we have blind spots in this area, and you know where each one of us struggles. I pray that you convict us, you help us to extend grace, to embody grace, and be a reconciler, bringing people back to you. And through your son, and I pray all this in his son's name, your son's name, amen.